0: Hey, this is Dick Wagner, and you're listening to Rock Strikes 10. Hey everybody, this is Paul Stanley, and this is Gene Simmons from KISS, and you're listening to Rock Strikes 10. And guess what? Just for hearing this ID, you owe me $30. Boom.
1: Welcome to Rock Strikes!
2: Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, whether you're doing it at cnjradio.com or you're subscribed and leaving a star rating and review on iTunes and never missing one single episode. Thank you, especially everybody who does that. All right, long time friends of the show. You especially know how important and special this episode is going to be for me and hopefully for you. Uh, I've told this story before, but real quick, the uh, first three podcasts that I subscribed to when I first got into podcasts were well over a decade ago, I think 2006, something like that. The first show I ever subscribed to was the Rock and Roll Geek Show with Michael Butler, and we were fortunate enough to have Michael on in episode 88 for a two-parter. And then the second show I ever subscribed to was Talking Metal with Mark Striegel, who was gracious enough to come on episode 94, do his desert island list, and uh, have since developed a a really nice friendship with Mark, real solid guy. And the third show that I ever subscribed to was a show called Podkist, which was an all-kiss podcast, and I was just excited that such a thing existed. Uh, The first of many kiss podcasts to come around, but Podkist the first and still the standard bearer for all kiss-related podcasts, and just uh, always just a quality show in general. Not hating on the other ones, but there's just so many, and I still think podcast is not only, of course, factually the original, but still the best at doing it, and this is a big deal. Ken Mills is finally going to be on Rock Strikes 10 here on this episode, and I'm just thrilled to death about it. And, uh, I I got a pretty good feeling that Ken will be back on the show sooner than later. I I would love to have him back on. I've had this idea for a long time and it is KISS related, but we're not going to play any KISS songs here on the show tonight. And just to explain it better, let's get into our conversation with Ken Mills. And, uh, I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I did. That's probably impossible, but I, I hope you enjoy the show. So... Let's uh, get into this conversation I had recently with the great Kim Mills, the podfather. Enjoy.
1: All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best. You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to
3: be podcast And welcome to a very special episode. I'm not sure what we're calling this but I'm going to look at it as Joey Haney is hosting Podkist, and I guess I'm hosting Rock Strikes 10. Welcome, Joey Haney, to the Podkist, and welcome me to Rock Strikes 10, right, Joey?
2: Yes, it's an honor, hopefully, on both ends here. I know it is for me, so.
3: It is for me as well. We've been talking for a long time about doing a show together, and here we are, and uh, it's finally happened, right? Two great tastes in one. We are the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Of podcasting.
2: I was I was about to make the joke. Thank you for, for doing that right on the front there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I've always been, as long as I've been a KISS fan, let's see. And I'll do that only because it's been like years since I've been on podcast, but it's okay. I'm not mad at you. Uh, no, uh, I got to say about being a KISS fan. Once I hit like the preteen years mm-hmm. is when I started to read more about Kiss it was more than just about the music at that point for me I just I became an all-encompassing music nerd and I wanted to read every article and every band that I liked or every singer that I liked so after a while uh, especially when it comes to Kiss and they were being so extra cool in the 90s you know whether it be taking care of their fan base or just talking about things that they don't seem to talk about as much anymore and that's the stuff that they grew up on or the stuff that molded what their band became even while they were, you know, in their late teens or early twenties even. So, you know, they're still molding kiss in their early twenties. So I was always interested even just going past some of the obvious stuff because anybody from that generation, especially, you know, it's all about, you know, the big zeitgeist Elvis and the Beatles and stuff like that. As I dug deeper, I, um, you know, just noticed that there was more than just what was on the surface from what I could expect because that generation and we'll get into these bands too you know your elvis and your beatles and stones and stuff like that and of course those are the poobahs they're on the mount rushmore you know but the thing that i give kiss a lot of credit for is they got me into some bands that even to this day you're not programmed to really like and so you're basically what we're going to do today is we're going to do the format of rock strikes 10 but tie it into kiss but we're not going to play any kiss songs per se we're just going to play songs that influenced kiss to, you know, turn into the band that they became and like basically putting all these acts in a blender and you're going to get kiss. So I came up with 10 acts that I thought really did it and we'll get into obvious and non-obvious stuff. But these are almost like origins
3: of kiss. Where did kiss come from?
2: Yeah. Yeah. that, That could be good. You know, Hey, superheroes are a big thing nowadays. So let's call it the origins of kiss. Very good. And this, this just came about, like I said, reading articles, reading the, uh, what is it, Behind the Mask? Is that the what the book's called? Mm-hmm. When they go into that album by album, song by song thing, which is my, one of my favorite, easily my favorite part of the book, um, they get into this kind of stuff. And so we're going to really dissect it right now and play these songs. So even if you're a novice KISS fan or you're KISS Army, KISS Navy, like I am, then there's something for you out there to maybe discover and get into really heavily, so...
3: Very good. Well, without further ado, please take it away. You're hosting today, buddy.
2: Oh yeah. Yes. Thank you. Okay. It's, 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 it's rough for me, Ken. Like I said, this was uh this was literally like the second or third podcast I subscribed to. So it's always cool to be on podcast. I'm never not going to get over it. So, okay. Getting to the whole thing here. I remember reading an interview with Paul Stanley, probably in the nineties. And he said something just kind of, you know, kind of off the cuff, but I really took it to heart and it made me want to know more about this artist. And in a simple sentence, you know, they were talking about Elvis for a minute. And of course, you know, Elvis is the king. I'm a believer in that. And, uh, but he, he mentioned something when he was talking about his early days and getting into bandstand and stuff like that. He goes, I always thought that Eddie Cochran was just a little bit cooler than Elvis. So that made an impression on me right away. So I kind of started maybe track down the best stuff here and there. And so like I guess pretty much with Eddie Cochran, he doesn't have a whole big output. So since he's a fifties artist, And gone too soon, by the way. He died pretty early in his career. You know, like he didn't really have a chance to have a career.
3: Mm -hmm. Insanely early.
2: Yeah, died in a car accident. But he was a part of a few things that really put him right there in the front with everybody else. And, of course, there's um, nobody walking the face of this earth that hasn't heard summertime blues, which is, is his massive hit. Mm-hmm. But uh, in addition to some uh, a guy like Paul Stanley giving it up for Eddie Cochran saying now that guy's cool Elvis is cool, but that guy is really cool because he's playing the guitar really hard and he's singing and he's got this cool hairdo and You know even uh, watching of course and I'm sure you've seen this Ken, multiple times like I have the Beatles anthology mm-hmm. There's there's a song in the Eddie Cochran canon that Really it, it actually had a big hand in getting the Beatles together and it's just one of the coolest songs ever. It clocks in a minute, 45 seconds, and it's called 20 Flight Rock.
0: Ooh, well, I gotta get with the record machine When it comes to and she's a queen we're up to dance on a Saturday night All little where I can hold her tight But she lives on the 20th floor of town The elevator's broken down So I walk one, five, three, five, four Five, six, seven, flat, eight, flat, more. Up on the twelfth, I'm starting to drag. Fifty, four, I'm already to sag. Get to the top, I'm too tired to ride. When well, she called me up on the telephone, she come on over honey, I'm all alone. I said, baby, you're mighty sweet, but I'm in bed with a aching feet. This went on for a couple of days, but I couldn't stay away. So I walk one, two, flat, three, flight four. 5, four. Up the six, seven, flat, eight, flat, more. Upon the twelfth I'm ready to drag a fifty Before I'm starting to say Get to the top, I'm too tired to rock Well, listen to Chicago for repairs Till it's affixed, I'm using the stairs Hold the hurry before it's too late I'm a bit too much to weigh. All this clown is a getting me down. The farm corpse draped over a rail, but I climb one, two, five, three, flight, four, five, six, seven, five, eight, five, four. Upon the twelve, I'm ready to drag. We're well, looking for i I'm starting to say, Get to the top. I'm too tired to rock.
2: That's a great track. That's a great track. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's simple. I mean, for the fifties, it's almost simple, you know, but that chorus, man, it's so cool. And like the double entendre <laughs> and it's just, and you know, it, it's, it's in, it's in the movie, the girl can't help it, which if that movie hadn't come out, rock and roll would, would wouldn't have been the same. Right. I mean, it, it had everything and it had sex and rock and roll turned up to the nines You know, little Richard's in that thing, you know, Jane Mansfield's in that thing that that's the way she ever <laughs> yes that is an important piece of art and i mean that but yeah like uh going back to that beatles thing i love watching uh, mccartney play that on the acoustic guitar because he could still pick it up and play it to this day and he, he's like a little kid when he plays it but he played that song at a talent show if i'm not mistaken and john lennon was uh, also on that talent show and he watched him do it and he was blown away by hey not only can he play guitar but he knows all the words mm-hmm. so the rest is history you know
3: that was really Paul McCartney's audition for the Quarrymen.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there you go. Twenty uh, Flight Rock from Eddie Cochran, November 1957. Not only can you see McCartney cover that on, you know, Beatles anthology, you can. Uh, there's another Time to Kiss, uh, the Eric Singer Project CD, their one and only CD. They cover it on there. So.
3: And there's a whole nother level, right? Had there been no Summertime Blues, there would be no. I just want to. I mean, it's it's so obvious, right?
2: Yeah. And, you know, I that song always, I didn't catch the summertime blues thing right away. Obviously, that song had a familiarity to it when I first heard it, and that's why I think it's catchy.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I just want a little un, unjustly bashed because of that reason, you know. I think it's different enough. I mean, the alliteration is there, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just being biased and being a fanboy. But Well, that's Paul citing Eddie Cochran. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And, and that was probably around the era where I saw him make that quote. So, uh-huh. you know, it's in the back of his mind at that point, even. So, yeah. Besides, what
3: what else do you want to do on Summer than to, you know, I just want to, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're, it's the next level. I You know, it's, it's the Scarface thing. You know, you got to make the money first. Then you get the woman. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, man, this one right here, and this is going to be one of the obvious entries, but This, uh, I I know everybody who's any kind of KISS fan gets this reference right away. And I guarantee you there's a handful of people, I'm one of them, that the first time they heard this song was uh, basically being used as a vessel by KISS. Uh, More specifically in the exposed video when they're doing kind of, it's like the non-serious serious serious parts where they're being interviewed, you know. Mm -hmm and paul and gene just break into a little you know impromptu acapella of i'll be back by the beatles well there was a period in our lives where we would stand on a street corner with a guitar case open i would have a guitar and gene and i would stand and we would go Sing you know fun.
5: if you break my, heart. Oh, that's, my that's my
2: part right? okay watch this folks right, Now know, just make believe you're walking down the street throw a quarter this way you know if you break
5: my heart i'll go but I'll be back again, cause I told you once before goodbye See so you
3: all that nasal stuff. That.
2: and I will confess that's the first time I ever heard that song,
3: which is amazing right it's first of all it's it's hard to believe that there's any Beatles song that was not a single. you know what i'm saying their 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 catalog is so damn big and so yes. damn huge. That it you almost take it for granted what was actually released as a single and what wasn't right. That's how yeah. many great A sides they had. So yeah, uh, it's just yeah. staggering to think that this was not a hit. I know that for a lot of people, this song became kind of known in the 70s when they were putting out uh, like the Beatles love songs and things like that. The various compilations that were coming. You know, rock and roll music, love songs, and things like that.
2: Yeah, those are important compilations to me because that's the those are the records I heard first. Through I yeah, parents, they're the they're the ones that bought the comps, kind of you know. So,
3: yeah, those yeah. red and blue albums, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But the Beatles are so ingrained in Kiss's DNA; it's you can't pull it apart. It, the whole thing would fall apart. Everything from the way Gene like bops up and down. Yeah. <laughs> you know he's trying to be John Lennon. You know yeah. what I'm saying? As mm-hmm. weird as it is, he goes. He, sure, he'll jump like the demon when he when he was younger and all that stuff. But if you really look at Kiss and you look at the early Beatles things, there's that bop that they're both doing. And there's it's it's never been lost on me how like Kiss has their standard stage set up. It's the same as the Beatles, you know what I mean? You've got Paul pinged over here, John pinged over here. They meet in the middle, and then George would just meander back and forth until it was his time for a spot. And that's really what Ace did, right? Or Tommy or whoever, the guitarist and Kisses.
2: I can't believe I, I, I am seeing it in my head. I'm seeing the parallel right there, and I never thought of that until you said it. But it's absolutely there, and that's obviously intentional, too.
3: Mm-hmm. it totally is and it's weird if you if if you watch like films of both kiss and the Beatles early on and you turn the sound down it looks like they're playing Beatles music it's that same you know <laughs> I wanna hold your hand it it could be the same beast moving you know what I'm saying it's just one wearing uh more makeup and higher heels than your mommy so
2: <laughs> yes exactly so yeah I mean I Saw them do that. And here's the other kicker. And this is probably going to blow you away. <laughs> I I didn't even know that was a Beatles song when they were singing it Unexposed.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And I, you know, of course you watch those end credits with the, with the tank bit and they're scrolling through all the credits for the songs and the songwriting and everything. And then it's right there at the end. It says, I'll be back by Lennon and McCartney. And then I went, Oh, okay. Well that, I guess that's a Beatles song then. Mm-hmm. So that's, Kind of, you know, and like I said, the Beatles is pretty much in any decent music fan's life from the word go. But that's one of those things where I'm like, man, I, I guess I need to get a copy of the Hard Day's Night now because that's that's the place I, where I can find this magical song that Kiss loves so much that you know. And uh, that's really where my Beatles phase came, well, not phase, but like first started buying the records that were mine. And uh, I give Kiss a lot of credit for actually kind of, like, really kicking my, my Beatles fandom into, into the third gear, you know what I'm saying? hmm so Absolutely. I think, it, I think it's only appropriate that we play I'll Be Back off of Hard Day's Night right now.
5: You know, if you break my heart, I'll go. But I'll be back again. I told you once before goodbye But I came back again I love you so I'm the one who wants you Yes, I'm the one who wants you Oh, 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 oh You could find better things to do And to break my heart again This time I will try to show that I'm Not trying to pretend I thought that you would realize That if I ran away from you That you would want me to but i got a big surprise Oh, 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 oh You could find better things to do Than to break my heart again This time I will try to show that I'm Not trying to pretend I hate to leave you, you know I hate to leave you, oh, 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 you, if you break my heart I'll go, but I'll be back again.
3: I love that bit where they're busking where they're talking about busking on you know, whether it be on the subway or on the street. Yeah. And then Paul goes, Take your fucking dollar and beat it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've also seen the footage of Eric,
2: Paul, and Gene doing help, right? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, they're doing that and rain and yes. What's uh? What else are they doing? Like I every now and then I watch that clip because it's such a fun clip to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are the two main ones right there. So yeah, and hearing them do help and and rain and, and like doing a faux version of rain, knowing that it's bad and
3: well, it's you know. like Gene makes a point to sing from his nose, right? He, yeah, because he Gene can do some great Beatle-ish type harmonies and leads and you know, yeah. I mean his his solo first solo album is proof of that for sure. Yeah. And the stuff in Wicked Lester, I mean, yeah. good God! But yeah, when he when he does that nasally thing, uh, you know, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he like jumps up there, and but it's just great. And it, and you know, it continues on to this day because occasionally Tommy Thayer will play something acoustic, and invariably he winds up playing a Beatles song, and he's he's done. You've got to hide your love away, and a yeah. few other stuff. So, yeah, yeah. the you know, and uh, it was really neat at the Vault. Uh, in St. Louis, uh, Gene kept playing like Day Tripper and stuff like that, and Ace said, "Well, the, the Beatles were more your thing. I was the Stones guy, right?" Yeah, right. <laughs> but then he said, "You know, you gotta
2: love the Beatles." So yeah, yeah oh, he. I, I think that Gene almost overtly talks Beatles in interviews because I kind maybe I'm putting maybe I'm putting something there that isn't there. But on the on the cruise that I went to, I went to the second one. And they're doing a bit on the deck where they're interviewing the band, like different random fans are chosen with their softball questions and, and interviewing the band. And of course, one of the generics is, you know, what what are your favorite bands and influences? And then, like Gene, like we'll just overly talk Beatles. He's like the best songs, the best albums, you know. And like you can almost see it in the rest of the guys. Like, okay, Gene, do you do you listen to anybody else? <laughs> it's, it's, oh, it was just funny to me because I noticed that they were a little bit like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. And, and Paul has said that there's the Beatles
3: and then there's everybody else. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. Before we finish up with, I'll be back and the Beatles, I, I still am always fascinated because, you know, I do a couple of, I hit a couple of websites to see if I could find any other fun facts on this. And there's, there's not a whole lot of fun facts about I'll be back, but just knowing that the song was put out in Europe, you know, in the UK in July of 64, and America didn't get to hear it until like six months later on Beatles mm-hmm. 65 is just, that's so weird to me. I mean, I, I can remember a time with no internet and that's just so weird to me. Yeah. Those were the days. And I miss those old sixties versions sure. that we had.
3: They had an energy and a crackle that the other ones didn't. I miss yeah. them. I know that I'm a bad beetle fan and people say you should only like this version. But damn it,
2: I I love the version of Day Tripper that I had, as an American. There you go. And being an American, I don't think that people were exposed to this band so much. And I really got to give all the credit to Kiss for making me a fan of this band. I, I would see this band on like if like Circus Magazine or somebody had a you know a favorite albums list, and they were having musicians take part in it. I would constantly see this band on Gene Simmons' list,
4: mm-hmm. and
2: this is the actually the only song we're going to be playing here tonight. The Kiss is actually covered, so also super important to the to the Kiss to the roots of Kiss and their origin and everything. This is a single that was put out in October of 1964, originally off of an album called Coast to Coast. This uh, I think this is you know after your obvious bands, Beatles, Stones, and whatever. I I truly believe this is. The the best of the British invasion. And that's the Dave Clark 5. Anyway, you want it, you can
1: call me, say Dave. Hey, you want it, you can always hear me say.
3: to hear you say that this was a band that wasn't as well known and I'm not sure that that's accurate but I will say here is where it is accurate. Time looks back differently at things than they really happened at times uh, for example you know, some people may look at the monkeys as a joke right? They yeah. don't understand they didn't live through the hype and the mania it's just like there are people today who will not believe that KISS was as huge as they were yeah. in the 70s right or the same with yeah. the BGs or whatever
2: yeah and I'm aware that Dave Clark 5 had hits in America but oh yeah they just haven't seemed to they didn't seem to make it through as I like to say like in the sense of they're not in the conversation of this era when it comes to American music and, and influence and stuff like that and I just think that that's yeah. the sad part about it because I know bits and pieces and glad all over were on the radio and if you're a cool old e station you still play it but they just they just don't seem to be in the conversation as much as I think that they deserve to be, even despite being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I think that there's two big reasons for that.
3: One, they didn't evolve, and there were a lot of great combos and bands, which, you know, we we don't call any band a combo anymore.
2: Yeah, that sounds like a bandstand-like, you know, type stuff. You know, yeah, like, it would be like, this,
3: this, this swinging combo
2: hails from British Columbia, or whatever, you know what I mean? It was always that. <laughs> And even the Dave Clark the Dave Clark Five sounds like one of those things. Like it's the Dave Clark Five sounds like it's going to be big band swing music, you know, on the surface mm-hmm. when you hear that name, because it just sounds like one of those things.
3: But there's two things that really stop it, and one is that they did not evolve, right? Like yeah. for example, you take a look at Paul Revere and the Raiders. They tried to move past being just a fun party band, and they yeah. did. They had that great song "Indian Reservation," but. Yeah, love that song it was it was hard to make that elevation into trippy psychedelia i mean all this stuff happens so fast when you think about like the 60s it's insane how fast things changed like yeah. you mentioned the beatles in 1964 the beatles were had already invaded and within less than a 6 year span they did four movies multiple world tours, wrote books, went on every TV show that there seemingly could be. And it's insane to think of the amount of albums and hits that came out in that amount of time. So the Beatles were like the big trendsetters, right? Yeah. Whatever the Beatles were doing, uh, that's what you had to do, or you were old and passé fast, right?
2: Yeah. And even Dave Clark Five had a film having a wild weekend. Yeah. And... Which and, was
3: their hard day's night.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think that was the thing. Like, you had to put that on your checklist. Everybody needs one of those. Mm-hmm. Like, And I think...
3: Yeah, it's it's kind of like in the 80s after Purple Rain came out. Purple that Madonna Rain. had a movie. Everybody got a movie that was a rock yeah. star.
2: And uh, I failed to mention that at the top of the segment before we played the song. But, of course, that being the Dave Clark Five, that was Any Way You Want It which was famously covered by Kiss on, I believe one of your favorite things that Kiss ever did, if I'm not mistaken, side four of Alive 2 yes. the studio stuff. Great side. And uh, the cool thing is Dave Clark himself has even been very complimentary about Kiss's version. Them less so actually, because they say they prevent like, well, the, the early version, you know, the original version's better and all this other stuff. But it, man, when you hear that original version as great as Kiss's version is as great as Ramon's version and Tom Petty and, That's great company right there. But Dave Clark five just had this energy and Paul Stanley, I think said it best. The best thing about those songs is they sound, they sound like they could fall apart at any minute.
3: Uh They
2: just, they're just going and any, any second now that car crash is going to happen. It never seems to, but that's what puts you on the edge of your seat.
3: Yeah. There's a wildness in the version of Dave Clark five that is not in the harder version of any way you want it by kiss. It's just two different beasts. Yeah, but that's because Kiss realized that if there was a problem, they could fix it.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And isn't it, isn't it true that supposedly, this is what I've heard, is that the only personnel on Kiss's version is Paul and Peter, as far as performance goes, like Paul supposedly plays all the guitars. I mean, there's no solo on it anyway, Right. but like he plays all the guitars and Peter plays all the drums on it. And then they, of course, do their harmony together with all the members, but yeah. That might be one of the only Kiss songs where it's just Paul and Peter playing instruments, which is, you know, there you go. You have to Amazing. do some dirty facts about Kiss if you're going to do anything Kiss. So
3: I also wonder if, and and then She Kissed Me, I wonder if that would also fit in that.
2: Ooh. I mean, is that Ace's solo, or is that Paul's
3: solo? That's got to be Paul's solo. It's too mm-hmm. st- it's too tasty, which is not to say <laughs> that Ace doesn't do tasty solos. Paul's Paul's solos are very well orchestrated. I was going to say, he thought about it. Yeah. Eight, remember we were talking about how it could go off the rails? All yeah. of Ace's solos sound like they could just turn into crap. I mean, mm-hmm. what other guitarist can get away with going... And still have nice. it be part of a great solo, right? He's playing the same note over and over and over again, yeah. And he a just great, does that's that. That's a
2: great firehouse, by the way. That was good. Yeah,
3: thank you. But but he he does this uh, great chicken plucking thing, you know, yeah. and it's just fantastic. And that's one yeah. of the great things about Ace is that he was able to take this bit of calamity and make it into something he's he's just wonderful i love aces solos when they're sing-along you know what i mean yeah absolutely and the other reason that you don't hear much about the dave clark five is due to their publishing there were things that dave clark who actually wound up buying all the bands publishing and getting it back he controlled it which meant that you didn't see dave clark five on a lot of compilations or a lot of things, Mm -hmm. soundtracks, so on and so forth. He was very, he held that very tight, not realizing that he was actually shorting the band culturally in the long run. Like, it's it's almost virtually impossible to find
2: that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole thing about how bad is commercialism really when it comes to certain type of acts. You know, obviously the Beatles didn't need to be in commercials to keep their lore about them. You know, because I'm sure, like when their contemporaries saw that Nike commercial, they were just like, "Oh," you know. And when Stones fans saw that, you know, commercial in the '90s, they were like, "Oh." But you know, commercials can help certain acts, um, you know, as far as getting bit brought back to the public eye. Maybe that could have done them some good, especially being in movies. You get in the right scene, and people are like, "Who's that?" You know. Like, imagine them being used on the Train Spotting soundtrack. Ooh. And that, that would be you good. See what that I'm would, saying?
3: That's a Yeah.
2: Or like even the, the Guy Ritchie stuff, too. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Oof.
3: Like, I always yeah. thought that the Rolling Stones should have got with like a battery company.
2: You know, for, <laughs> for Star Me Up. Yeah. yeah.
3: You know, if you want to you make sure your car is going to start this winter? Yeah. Here you go.
2: <laughs>
3: see a guy like he can't get his car going, it goes. Yeah. And then, bzzz, and
2: the start start me up starts playing. Oh no! Anyway. That, the, but the Stones are playing on top of his battery now, yeah,
3: so. <laughs> like the cars uh, on yeah.
2: the bar soap open. You might think video. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's all I could see right now. So. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned the Stones actually, and also you referenced the first album earlier by mm-hmm. talking about Firehouse, or at least singing Firehouse, which is a great bonus here on Rock Strikes Ten and podcast, but. The, the thing, Kiss gets flack for being derivative a lot of times here and there, especially musically, but at least something can be said about the fact that they don't really hide it, and I've always noticed that over the years, that as far as back as I can remember reading articles about them, they were pretty on the nose about, yeah, when we wrote this song, we were pretty much trying to write this song that we grew up on or that we loved at the time. And I don't really feel like a lot of bands do that. And correct me if I'm wrong. I just, you know, I feel like most artists just want to think that, you know, give the perception that they are completely original and whatnot. But, you know, when I see them talk about Deuce and they talk about it quite a bit, you know, Gene and Paul always mentioned that comes straight from bitch by the Rolling Stones. We literally just took the that main riff, the da-da-da, and turned it and flipped it over. And it became the, you know, that riff reduce, you know, and yeah, if you play it, you could like, you could find it in there, but mm-hmm. it's not so obvious. You know, I like the fact that they at least did something a little different with it. You know, Paul would be a little bit more derivative when it came to doing something like hotter than hell, which is all right now when you play it on the guitar yeah. and don't sing out loud. It's like, oh, that's all right now. But that's what that's another thing. Deuce is just really just probably the coolest Kiss song ever. And I think Bitch is probably the coolest Rolling Stones song ever. So the fact that, you know, one begat the other, that's perfect in my eyes. So I think Bitch by the Rolling Stones is always the way to go when talking about the origins of Kiss. <laughs>
3: The ultimate kiss opening song.
2: Yeah, man. I mean, it's I've you know I don't know how many kiss shows you've been to, Ken. I know you've been to it quite a bit. I've I've been to a handful myself. And if Deuce isn't the first or second song, something seems off every yeah, time. I agree. I've seen it played halfway through a show before, and I'm like, huh, that's that's interesting. <laughs> By the way, here's another one of those uh, Ken
3: Mills tips to help enjoy KISS. Mm -hmm. If you ever find yourself bitching about KISS concerts, you've been to too many of them. (laughs) That's like go to see a magician, and he pulls the rabbit out of the hat, and you go, Oh, I've seen that already. Well, that's because that's the show, you know. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You've, You've forgotten the insanity of a man spitting blood and breathing fire and flying. Yeah. That that has now become normal in your world. That's why you're bitching.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm not complaining. I just think it's weird. Like it's, I almost couldn't relax until I heard deuce, you know? Right, <laughs> like right. That, but that, it's strange, is, you know, you do people. You have the fever if that's the case, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and he, Dr. Love's got the
3: cure. Oh. But, uh, you know, it's like just to do a sidebar here, people complain about kiss stages, right? There's nothing like the great stages of the old day. What a candelabra! Oh, wait—you mean the lighted steps? Oh, okay. Yeah, those are the most revolutionary stages of all
2: time. I understand. <laughs> yes.
3: The the special effect on the stage was kiss,
2: and yeah. that's that's really what the special effect was. Yeah, good point. So, uh, Sticky Fingers is—do uh, you have a personal favorite Stones album, or is it Sticky Fingers or anything? Because that—I mean that that album, top to bottom, is pretty much law. It is, it is great. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm believe it or not. Some girls is one. I really love that is my personal, like, like if I have a personal favorite, like you have that one, it's like, okay. Yeah. Like for the Beatles, you have Sergeant Pepper, of course, is most people's favorite to revolver or something like that. But magical mystery Tour is my personal favorite Beatles, my personal favorite stones is some girls. That's a great choice, Ken. Yeah.
3: I mean, they, they survived for God's sakes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Through everything. You know, when you think about trying to be a band that was famous back in 1965 to 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 survive to 1977 or whatever, yeah, in a world where there was now punk, glam, uh, disco, disco, country, everything, any sort of weird thing was happening,
2: yeah, and they managed to survive and thrive. Yeah, and the great part about Some Girls is there's a little bit of all of that. Exactly. On that record. They, exactly. They, they, made, they pulled it off. Amazing so. hat trick. So I always wonder if this band would still be kicking around if it wasn't for bad circumstances. And a, another huge act, you know, we talked Beatles, we talked Stones. If you're talking Kiss, you got to start talking about Zeppelin. Uh-huh. And even just, you know, I guess, you know, especially Paul, and they've been a big influence on where my taste goes, even if it's, you know, You know, classic bands like the Beatles and and whatnot. I remember specifically watching Kisses Night on Headbangers Ball when they're playing the Troubadour for the Revenge Club Tour.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: And they come in from commercial and they're playing this song. And it just, on the surface, it sounds like they're just doing like, you know, a 12-bar blues thing. And then the band just stops down and Paul goes into that great moment at the end of You Shook Me by Led Zeppelin. And he's doing that, you know, and he's just riffing. And that blew me away I was just like wow And I remember right that, that, Like a few months later for Christmas I asked for the Led Zeppelin CD box set Pretty much that, that one moment right there uh, You know We'd all heard the radio songs But that's kind of the moment that made me go I want to hear everything now Because that song doesn't get played on the radio So there must be something else here That's, that's the moment for me <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, and a song that I definitely should have heard by that point, but I just had, not you know, I'm sure my dad had the initial Zeppelin albums, but I didn't get to rate his record collection before he took off, which is unfortunate. But yeah, Led Zeppelin 1, 1969. It wasn't even the 70s yet, but I mean, definitely the 70s kicked off, I believe, with Led Zeppelin 1 and a few other records, you know. And of course, it's a Willie Dixon original. It's been covered by everybody and their mom. You kind of have to know it. But, you know, not a Led Zeppelin song you hear every day, so I think that's perfect for Rock Strikes 10.
3: And if you want to see more Led Zeppelin in Kiss music, you don't really have to go too far than I Want You, right? That's oh, yeah. Paul's big homage to Led Zeppelin.
2: Yeah, I, th- I I don't think it was an accident that they got Eddie Kramer to produce them after a while because, uh-huh. you know. And, and, and not that uh, Jimmy Page was going to, have any engineer take credit for the sound but just the fact if you could get somebody that was in the building you know just turning knobs while zeppelin was throwing down you're going to want that guy to produce your album i mean yeah why wouldn't you, you? At, yeah if you look at the engineer list on a, on every zeppelin album because page would fire their the engineer after every album because you know this was his band not theirs um but every one of those producers became big time producers if they weren't already so mm-hmm. It was, a, it was a rite of passage,
3: and I'm going to throw this out. Uh, you know, it's become sport as of late to make fun of Paul and his singing and where he's at now, right? Yeah. But that guy is a bad
2: motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, go watch that footage. It's on. It's on YouTube. It's on a few other places. But man, just yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. Is is what I will say about it.
3: Well, yeah. I don't even look at it as unfortunate. I look at it as
2: the scars of battle, right? Well, yeah, no, I'm just saying the way that the way that the fans oh, react. Oh, yeah,
3: it's yeah. definitely unfortunate the way fans react. Yeah. Uh if you're going to, you know, get a cut or a scar in battle, it's worth it. It's better than, you know, going out and blowing it on things that don't matter. But having said that, the album Monster doesn't get as much love as I feel it should. I absolutely agree. And if you listen to long way down, I hear Zeppelin all over that track.
2: Oh yeah. There's a, there's a, a, a it's like three quarter Zeppelin one quarter back company. Yes. Yeah, that's, a, just, that's a, that's yeah. a tremendous song long way down by kiss. So yeah, I am one of the fortunate few that have seen them perform that live. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they played like five monster songs on that cruise set. So I would, as a person who loves the Monster album, you know, uh, cynical fans be damned, I am. I feel so fortunate that I got to see a good bulk of that album performed live, which will never happen again sans hell or hallelujah. Right.
3: And, you know, looking at that album, I look at Love Gun as an homage to the music that they grew up with. I'm talking about the entire album because there's yeah. a lot of calls back to the 50s and 60s on that album. Mm-hmm. and I feel the same can be said of Monsters you, you've, you've got everything from the MC5 represented to a Bad Company just Humble Pie you know the beginning of Eat Your Heart Out and stuff like that there's a lot of love shown to their roots everything from Paul Revere and the Raiders are found there you know what I mean it's, mm-hmm. it's all in there folks if you know where to look at it
2: mm-hmm. and the temptations like Shout Mercy right yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very good point. There's a lot of, there's a lot of R&B influence always has been even jeans bass riffs from day one that were massively engulfed in R&B and then, and, you know, blue eyed soul as well. But you know, those R&B riffs are just, they really make those early songs, especially, and you know, Gene still does throw down on the bass. Not, you know, he's not known for it, but you know, whenever I just hear him going around the neck, it's just a, uh, You know, he's, he's, he's an underrated bass player in a lot Uh of senses. It's just that, you know, sometimes you feel like what Ace says is right, where he just uses it as an instrument to make money. But, you know, I I still see flashes of inspiration in Gene and, you know, I, I don't think that if he didn't enjoy it, he wouldn't be out there doing a damn solo tour. I don't think it's really about the vanity and the ego, you know.
3: Well, one of
2: the joys that
3: I have in life is watching clips of the Gene Simmons band play live. Mm-hmm. And whether you get a chance to see them live or, you know, God bless YouTube, right? Uh, mm-hmm. if, if if they're playing across the other side of the world or wherever, it's great to see Gene Simmons just throw in these riffs every so often that are not in the studio versions, but they really add something to the song. And it's amazing what you can do when you don't have 40 pounds of armor
2: yeah so yeah and that's something that we saw a lot in the 90s you know Mm -hmm. like i I keep going back to that but it was such a fan-friendly decade for the band and even those one-off gigs that they would do here and there spot gigs like you look at that set list it's like man like they wouldn't the reason why they wouldn't do that set list today is because of the costumes i I firmly believe that yeah Yeah. so anyway but speaking of gene Mm -hmm. i gotta say gene one of my top three Kiss songs, and at times it is my favorite, but I found out that there was an entire other song that was completely influenced the writing of the song Going Blind, and it's a song, actually, if anybody has good footage of the Dallas Kiss convention in 95, you can find a little segment of me standing next to Tommy Thayer while he's holding the mic and I'm singing it directly to the band. It's Kind of one of the greatest moments in my life, <laughs> but uh, I found out around that same time that there was a song by a, a great band called Mountain, which is pretty much predominantly known for one song, "Mississippi Queen." But on their debut album, that also features that song, there's a song called "Theme from an Imaginary Western,"
4: uh-huh.
2: and that's the song that inspired Gene to write the song "Going Blind." for sure yeah it's all over there like and i gotta give massive credit like uh, jack bruce actually co-wrote that song by the way mm. uh, and uh he's uh, performed it on some of his projects over the years matter of fact there was this amazing moment uh i think it's in the late 80s or early 90s on the howard stern show where they did a, a remote out from england and they had jack bruce there and they uh, were friends with Leslie West at the time, who is the main singer and guitar player for Mountain. Uh-huh. And they actually had Leslie on the phone play. And this is like, you know, a pre Skype era. They had Leslie play the the guitar and the guitar solo over the phone while Jack Bruce sang theme of an imaginary Western. And they pulled it off somehow.
4: Uh-huh.
2: And uh, I, I remember that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that song. Years later, realizing that. And now that's become one of my favorite songs of all time, too. And if you don't have, uh, especially the first two mountain full links, Climbing and then it Sleigh Ride, those are some of the best classic rock albums you're ever going to hear. So I highly recommend picking those albums up. Mm-hmm. Gene Wood, too. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I used to see Climbing on his list along with The Best of the Day, Part 5. Absolutely. Man, Ken, this one, I feel like this entry, it's not even a forced entry, but this one really speaks to you, I think. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, phrasing. But, you know, the Beatles have come up so much in this conversation, and when they broke up at at the dawn of the 70s, I truly feel that there were three acts that really carried on their influence. Also, it took the Beatles' influence and made it their own, and my three favorite acts of the 70s arguably uh sans alice cooper but obviously you know alice loved them too but the ones i keep going back to that have the obvious beatles influence that really uh, did something musically revolutionary in the 70s were kiss cheap trick and electric light orchestra Mm
4: -hmm.
2: and before any of that especially with electric light orchestra that i'm focusing on here Jeff Lynn was in a band with Roy Wood, a guy who would open up for Kiss later on. Much to the uh, surprise of Paul Stanley, because I know he's a big fan of Roy.
4: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, but Roy and Jeff had a band called The Move. And, uh, you know, we talked about Cheap Trick, your your cohort on Cheap Talk. I know this is one of his favorite acts ever, the great BJ. Um, they, there's this band called The Move that most people in America, and we were talking about this with Clark 5, 5, but I'm pretty sure that most regular fair weather music fans in America have never heard the move ever, not even on the radio, which is sad because of kiss. I went and found this band and they're just, they were so ahead of their time. Would you agree? Absolutely. I
3: would. And very kiss centric in many ways.
2: Yeah. So all these tie-ins to kiss along with the move, like, you know, the, the Beatles thing, uh, the fact that Roy Wood and Wizard, his his band, post the Move opened up for Kiss, which apparently they didn't go over well. I remember reading in a book that the their Kisses fans didn't really like react positively to Roy Wood and Wizard. And Paul even said, "I wanted to go out on stage and chastise the people for doing that," and I got talked out of it by somebody in the organization. But there's this song that the Move do that was actually covered later on by Cheap Trick. And it is just the one of the most monster riffs ever. So I guess it's only appropriate that the song is called Brontosaurus. Hell yeah yeah that's pretty much all you can say about that and of course i know you know those little nuances in the riff the can call back to one of our other favorite bands cheap trick mm-hmm. you know them all right that, oh that,
3: absolutely yeah. all that stomp is there uh yeah if if you like cheap trick you will probably like the move and let's go a little bit further you mentioned roy wood's wizard mm-hmm. they they too wore facial makeup and uh Heels higher than your mama, right? Yes, and they they played the the stuff, and it was something that was in the zeitgeist. It was Alice Cooper times five or four, depending on yeah. which band you go in, right? Exactly.: You mentioned earlier how the band rewrote Deuce, right? Yes Paul Stanley tells a story about how he would listen to this station in on on the f M dial back in New York when he was a young man, and they would play music from England at a certain time of night, right? Like on Sunday nights, they would have a show dedicated to music from England. Yes. And they would play the move. And Mm -hmm. Paul Stanley didn't have a tape recorder at the time, but he would listen to these songs. And he would pick up his guitar and late on Sunday nights try to rewrite the song. And one of those songs is Firehouse. Yes. What what we know as Firehouse. Yeah. The Move had a song, and he pretty much took everything from it and just
2: rewrote it. Yeah, Fire Brigade, one of their earlier songs. Yeah. It's
3: amazing to think of that. I mean, that's why I don't look at it as a ripoff, like when Kiss says, well, we basically rewrote Bitch by the Stones or, you know, firehouse was fire brigade, right? Right, That's that to me is the beauty of creativity. I I just love the idea of a young Paul Stanley as he's trying to remember these things because you could only hear it once. That was it. You couldn't back it up. It was radio. It was live. Yeah. And he's just like, okay, what chord was that? What were they doing? And by the time he gets done, it's firehouse instead of fire
2: brigade. And just amazing. Yeah, and maybe he's also thinking, well, who's going to know? You know, this is only uh, really well known in England. <laughs> and probably none of us would have
3: known had Paul not pointed it out over and over again.
2: Yeah, I, I give him massive credit. So, yeah, there you go. That was Brontosaurus by The Move. That was released officially in December of 1970, which seems so early on for a, a sound that heavy. But
4: mm-hmm.
2: uh, the album was called Looking On. And that single actually did a little business in the UK that had a number seven peak. Which it's like, wow, that actually did pretty well over there. It's a shame that I feel like you know, I'm, th- this song was way too advanced and heavy, I think, for America at the time. Because you look at what was being played on the radio at the dawn of the '70s, and it's the complete polar opposite of a song like *Brontosaurus*. It's like folk rock and folk pop and stuff like that. You know, while well, Kiss thinking.
3: was trying to be wicked,
2: Lester. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. the Move
3: were already where Kiss wanted to be
2: yeah yeah it's something to strive for that's for sure you know, and I don't have I don't have Sabbath on this list, and they're obviously an influence as well, probably not as much, but you know I think the at least the energy and the power that they put in a room was definitely something that influenced them for sure, even if it's not musically so much
3: so what's next on our list here of the rock Strikes ten podcast
2: list? yeah, and like I said, Sabbath not being the biggest musical influence on kiss because you know they were a bit heavier and kiss you could tell were definitely more influenced by power pop uh, the earliest versions of power pop and I, I don't think there's a more perfect example of power pop and this goes for any band than a, a band that i got into strictly because of paul uh, a band that also he's he claims he lifted a riff from one of their biggest hits Uh, to help write the intro riff for Deuce and also did a massive tribute to him on his 78 solo album with a song called Wouldn't You Like to Know Me? But I'm talking about the Eric carmen led Raspberries. The Raspberries, just one of the great Power Pop bands ever. You could probably ask anybody that has any kind of uh, influence in the world of Power Pop and they'll probably just tell you the Raspberries flat out are the ones.
3: That's kind of where that all came from.
2: Yeah, and when you hear... A song like this one that we're going to play right here, a song called I Want to Be With You, I think that gets it exactly to where Paul's mindset was for what he was going to contribute to Kiss. Even though, you know, this song only precedes Kiss by two years. This is a song from 1972, and it'd be like just about a year and a half before Kiss's debut. But I think as they went on, it continued to have an influence on Paul. He still gives it up to the Raspberries to this day, which is nice. Mm -hmm. even though he doesn't have to but the fact that the raspberries kind of helped give way and give influence to him just writing that opening riff reduce if that had never happened history would be completely different in in some ways it would be different Mm -hmm. you know that song go all the way I mean if you know one song by them you know that song for sure but I feel like I want to be with you is the culmination of the sound that the raspberries perfected that gave him that influence
3: hear more of the raspberries in Kisses or Paul's music, you don't have to look too far. I mean, it's alright. Oh that, yeah. And by the way, just imagine if Rick Springfield would have covered It's Alright.
2: Yeah. That that one in Tomorrow Love and Chains. Yeah, yeah. I mean I can hear Springfield or the Raspberries or Eric Carmen singing Tomorrow and It's Alright. I mean, goodness. I mean that's some and I'm a big unmasked fan, so I love the pop music. And you know, this is just my stuff. And you know, usually music snobs will tell you, "Oh, you know, don't buy a best of." But it's really hard to not recommend your first Raspberries album being like Raspberry's Greatest or that Capitol Collector Series CD. I mean, that thing, with like twenty plus songs, and it's just—they're just some of the best songs ever written. Absolutely. So talking about power pop, I feel like this band, and this is another BJ cramp favorite and rightfully. So I believe he went on record saying this was his second favorite band A cheap trick. Uh, This is power pop, but I believed as Paul Stanley would like to say, cranked up on steroids. Uh, This band right here, which, you know, started off as a, like a mod pop act uh, became this other thing. And I don't know how it happened, but I'm so glad that they did. I mean, Um, I don't really know, even as a musicologist over my whole life, I don't really know who fired the first shot of glam rock and glam influence into Europe, even though I'm glad they did. But this band Slade, if they hadn't come along, I, I truly feel this was the second to last ingredient that was needed to kick off a band like KISS. Uh, there's there's no way they didn't have a massive influence in, uh, in just the way they shaped their songs initially
4: uh-huh. and
2: would continue to do, especially throughout their initial few years, like the first three albums. And just it got all the way down to be basically between Slade and Sly and the Family Stone is the reason why a song like Rock and Roll Over gets written and recorded. That's all there is to it. hmm uh-huh. And there's the song, basically Slade's first real big hit that got everybody's attention in Europe, and then it kind of would trickle down into the, the big, huge music fans in the U.S., like Gene and Paul. It was a song that was recorded in the 60s by Byron Marchand, which was later re-recorded by Little Richard, and Slade got a hold of it and just did something next level, and it kicked off the entire glam rock thing, I think, for a lot of people. And when you hear this song, it's like, okay, this is what we're doing now. And it's a song called Get Down and Get With It. bass player for Slade if you go back and watch his stuff you could definitely see that Gene took a little bit from him because he was kind of the showman of the band he was the ham mm-hmm. as as much of a ham as Naughty Holder was as the singer he still had to hold it down be a good vocalist so Jim kind of picked up the rest of that part and I, I really believe that that was um, that was a big influence on Gene because he was kind of one of the first showbiz bass players as I like to call him mm-hmm. him and um, and Overn and Watts from uh, Mata Hoople those two guys mock show yes <laughs> but like i mentioned with the raspberries earlier it's hard not to recommend a best of to the uninitiated so like i would say there there are a lot of Slade records out there but if you can track down the shout factory feel the noise best of that is a really solid 101 for you to get into Slade. and i feel like if you buy that CD, you'll listen to it the whole summer, and then after the summer's over, you'll finally start picking up the rest of the catalog. But that thing is so good, and it's just chock full of anthems. It's just anthem, anthem, anthem. Very good. Not a big Slade fan?
3: (laughs) No, uh, I like Slade. I, I I think that it's sad that they're only known in America for a few things.
2: This is true. Yeah, like and not even their versions of some of these songs. Like their originals are, you know, they're they're known as the band that Quiet Riot covered for the most part in America,
3: mm-hmm.
2: twice. But it's weird looking back at
3: Slade, uh, when you know, again, God bless YouTube, right? You can mm-hmm. go back and watch all these clips of them appearing on the many, many TV shows that they did in in England. Yeah, and they would change their entire style from like six months to six months, like so much was happening so fast. Mm -hmm. They'd wear these really weird garish outfits and then they'd be a completely different set of garish outfits where (laughs) as opposed to just like, you know, kiss had a standard thing, right? Yeah. I mean, basically the kiss outfits to the non kiss fan look the same, Until you get to, like, Dynasty. That's when they go, oh, well, now it's colorful. You know, that's the only difference it is to non-Kiss fans, non-Kiss obsessives. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was the 70s were a very weird time, man. Yeah. Come to think of it, the 60s were, too. And now that I think of it, every decade is full of weirdness because that's what we are.
2: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up YouTube, Ken, because definitely Slate is a cool band to check out through the YouTube wormhole, wow. especially if you can find the actual. It, it's it's neat seeing them on top of the pops, but they're kind of half lip-syncing for the most part. But finding like actual good live footage of I them, mean, there's one of them playing "Get Down and Get With It" like on some black and white European variety show or something like that, wow. and it is such an amazing performance. I recommend people look that up. It's one of the first matches you'll see just look for the black and white Uh and you'll see this great performance of it so I mentioned that Slade was the second to last ingredient to really adding to the mix of what would become kiss
4: Uh and
2: I think it's only appropriate that we close with I would like to call the final ingredient this is a band that even kiss admitted they went and saw this act live and it pretty much finalized what the idea of what kiss was going to be and they took this amazing idea that was so innovative, that was so ahead of its time. It even transcended genres, which a lot of music acts just can't do that. You have to be really special to like have an influence on not just your style of music, but all styles of music. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that Alice Cooper did that. You know, that kiss saw Alice and it's like, well, there needs to be four Alice's then because Alice is a big deal. So if everybody was like him in the band, plus with the whole thing about the Beatles, with us having our own identities, those two things right there set the tone for KISS, and it's still why I believe they're so heralded to this day, especially with the hardcore fans. But those two things right there is is what made KISS, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, when you listen to Hello Hooray, you hear everything that was, was later to become KISS whether it's the the production that wound up on destroyer or even psycho circus. Yeah. This is, this is it. Everything's here. The majesty, the, the, the largeness of it all, you know?
2: Yeah. And I truly believe hello. Hooray is, is just as influential as an album opener as, you know, even the best of the best Sergeant Pepper and, and what have you. It's just, yeah, it, it sets the tone. And it makes it Yeah, it, it would take if you if that song wasn't on the album, it would be like a four and a half star album. But that's what makes it a five star album. And I don't think it's any coincidence that um, really soon after Billion Dollar Babies came out uh, that bands like Kiss started to do that thing. And then, of course, eventually using Bob Ezrin, Alice Cooper's sixth member and his producer as a guy that produced. One of their breakthrough albums, *Destroyer*, and of course, one of their most infamous albums, *The Elder*, mm. and one of their most—well, I still like it, and some people still don't like it, but *Revenge*. So, yeah, Bob Ezrin—that's a—that's a big chapter in history, and he did. He also produced some of the greatest albums of all time, in addition to Kiss. It's pretty insane. That's why Bob is probably my favorite overall producer. But yeah, *Hello Hooray* is just as tops. It's—it's it's the It's the pinnacle of Hell's a-poppin' in your hard rock.
3: song and it was no accident that people were coming up to kiss saying you guys should look up Bob Ezrin and that people were coming up to Bob Ezrin and saying you really needed to get hooked up with kiss it was one of those marriages made in hell
2: yes wasn't it Bob that I believe he said that he had basically two offers to do either this new band called Boston or this other band that needed a good producer called Kiss. Mm -hmm. And I think he told Boston when he heard their demo, like, you don't need a producer. This thing is done. Done. Put it out. (laughs) Exactly.
3: And, you know, I really feel that if you want to look at the Kiss personalities and go one step further, the characters, Mm -hmm. I think that you have the character building being done by, Kiss, and the, you know, Sean Delaney, and his amazing imagination, the people that worked at O'Coin, who would give uh, teen magazines various things, saying everything from Peter Chris's parents, you know, died in a plane crash, and he was raised by lions or (laughs) panthers somewhere, but. When you look at KISS albums, you don't see characters being developed until Destroyer. And Bob Ezrin made it a point to give each KISS member a moment. That's why Ace was supposed to have Queen for a day. Paul was going to be the ultimate rock god in Do You Love Me. Peter was going to have his moment in Beth. And Gene was going to have his moment in God of Thunder. And really, when you think about it, this is where that KISS character songs really take a hold. This is the first time that it's really brought into focus. Like, for example, Gene would spit blood on 100,000 years, but there was nothing inherently about that song that said, this is the blood song, right?
2: Exactly. Exactly.
3: So, Bob Bob Ezrin sat the boys down and said, you guys are doing this thing that's really big. You can now make it epic.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's what he does. <laughs> like mm-hmm. He has taken you know and it's it's a different journey than the one he took with alice because alice still hadn't you know he definitely molded kiss in a different way than he did with alice but it was almost kind of the same thing where he was just like what are you like what do you what are you trying trying to to put out there yeah Yeah, what are you trying to put out there we you got a couple of records out okay great you know how can we make this an actual thing that will stick out so that's really where his genius lies. You know, and you think about other producers over the years. Like, uh, you know, in my opinion, Rick Rubin is not a great producer. Rick Rubin, uh, his engineers record those albums and make them sound the way that they do. Rick Rubin's just a great A&R man. Like, he knows what he likes, and, he, and you know, and that's his talent. I'm not disparaging anything that Rick has done in his career, but certain producers are just the, the directors. They're not so much the guys that roll film you know and and edit the thing down you know so you just there's a special producers that come along and they make magic and you know it's it's i think it's a good thing that Bob Ezrin came into the Kiss fold there's certain really hardcore fans of Kiss that wish Bob Ezrin had never darkened their door but i think that i don't think they'd still be around if it wasn't because of uh, destroyer i i actually do believe that because
3: it made kiss something that was already larger than life even larger
2: exactly and that's still the one that they um you know reference like hey well that's the one you should probably pick up if you're going to get something bias. us it's not a best of so yeah ending with alice cooper i think is the way to go because that's that's it and it's it's funny because you know the beatles that already come and gone and you know all these other acts that kind of become larger than life like the stones and, and what have you uh, but alice was already a legend in his own time And the fact that he influenced not only Kiss, but people like Bowie and Lou Reed, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of variety there. And, uh, and, you know, just, you could interview almost like that's the thing about Alice. You, You go get that box set life and crimes of Alice Cooper. And you'll see in most people's box sets, there'll be a couple of testimonies by, you know, people of the same ilk. But I think Alice has to be the only guy in the history of music that has testimonies in his box set by Burt Bacharach and Johnny Rotten. Yeah. <laughs> very so, true. Very true. Yeah, and and Dylan and Nikki Six, you know, so, yeah. Amazing.
3: Well, this has been a very cool coming together, a crossover, if you will, between the podcast and the great Rock Strikes 10 with Joey Haney.
2: Yeah. As Chief Chick would say, it was a long time coming.
3: But it sounds so sweet. Mm-hmm. So let us know what other albums and what other artists you feel KISS has been influenced by. If there's any that we met, hit us up on the various Facebook pages and just let your voice be heard, because that's kind of what KISS is about, right?
2: Shout it out loud. There you go. Couldn't have said it better myself.
3: So, Joey, thank you for hosting PodKISS today.
2: Thanks for having me, and thanks for coming on Rock Strikes Ten, sir. You're welcome anytime. Well, I'm glad to do it. There's so many different ideas
3: I have, and uh, we should do something with the monkey soon.
2: That sounds like a really good idea, Ken. I think I might have to take you up on that.
3: All right. Well, enough monkeying around. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And Rock Strikes 10. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye
2: have fun before we get out of here and play our dueling outros i just wanted to thank everybody for tuning in to the show here today anybody that's new to the show from podcast i hope you give the rest of rock strikes 10 and also all the shows on cnjradio.com a chance so i'll go ahead and plug those and then we'll get out of here every episode of rock strikes 10 is on cnjradio.com. if you subscribe on itunes that's great But if you want more, check out cnjradio.com for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10, including a lot of the KISS-centric themed episodes. Message, if you want some details, I'll be glad to help you out with that. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out the Synaptic Empire Radio featuring Randy Brown, a true alternative. Randy's show is great and tons of variety on his show as well. Also, there's The Last Theater with my cnjradio.com partner, Chris, the flagship show of cnjradio.com, The Wrestling House Show. If you're a fan of pro wrestling, it is a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. We basically whittle down all the hours of pro wrestling per month and put together one really nice super card for you. It's a really good show. Also, this is an exclusive to both shows, announcing two new podcasts for cnjradio.com, Talking Rock, hosted by Mark Striegel and co-hosted by myself, actually. Uh, It's truly an honor to be a part of doing a a show with Mark Striegel, and Talking Rock is relaunched on cnjradio.com. Keep your ears out for that one. Also, the brand new podcast on cnjradio.com, I Am Vinyl, featuring myself and the great Pete Larusa from Spacebeard. It's a really fun show. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for those two new shows on cnjradio.com. Yes, it's just about time to play Escape from the Island, but also we're going to play our outro here on Rock Strikes 10 featuring the great Pete Larusso and Space Beard. We play this outro at the end of each episode, and if you get the reference, message me and let me know that you did. So yes, let's roll the credits, bloopers, and Easter eggs and all that stuff, and hopefully we'll see everybody here on the next one. Have fun and happy holidays.
5: That is our show. Thanks
1: again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podkist.com
3: You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian
1: and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific
3: message board too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Criss, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late, great Eric Carr and the late, great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is created
1: by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members, past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the podcast crew, thank you for listening to Podcast, the KISS fanzine for your ears.
2: Take your fucking dollar and beat it. Oh, that's going to get edited off. <laughs> what was that? That was my stomach. <laughs> really? It sounded like a.
3: Someone's working in a garage across the street, and they hit like a metal piece. It's not like a clang
2: yeah that's uh that's me You're still
3: making clang noises you've you've got sure. problems
2: <laughs> so, so there there's the cat <laughs> <laughs> when she wakes up, man, she's like a snake. This is like dinner time., <laughs> uh, let that pass. I'm glad she did that at the end of a sentence.
3: (laughs) It all works out. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Are you abusing that animal?
2: (laughs) Get out of here. Take your dollar
4: and fucking beat it.